Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I am so excited to get into this episode today. If you are going through a heartbreak, if you've been through a heartbreak, if there's anything fucking wrong with your heart and you're trying to get your shit together, this is the episode for you. So sit back, grab a fucking cocktail, maybe a box of tissues, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. Okay, you guys, we are about to dive into it with Amy Chan. Amy Chan is a heartbreak recovery coach. She has a full-on boot camp that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to healing your heart, which of course I fucking love. We are really going to dive into it all. We are going to talk about why people are drawn to unavailable individuals. If you're feeling called out right now, I'm talking to you. Breakups and the big mistakes people make and why we are constantly searching for closure, different attachment styles, dating and why we can fall for someone too quickly and end up having that kind of one-sided obsessive relationship and overgiving and how we lose our power in power dynamics. This is such a good episode even if you are not going through heartbreak or have been through heartbreak. There's a lot of really really solid information in here that you can apply to things across the board for what you're dealing with in your life. So, Let's get the fuck into it. Here we go. Amy Chan, welcome to FML Talk. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. I can't wait for this discussion. It's seriously something that my readers and my listeners DM me about weekly. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait to dig in. Before we get to all the good stuff, can you give everybody kind of like a little background of who you are? Yeah. So I'm the founder and chief heart hacker of Renew Breakup Bootcamp. We take a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. So I bring in neuroscientists, behavioral scientists, dominatrixes, and we help people really like heal their heart and actually create healthy love. Mm. I'm also the author of Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. And I work with breakup and heartbreak all day, every day. I love that so much. And I love that you bring the scientific and the spiritual because I'm such a big spirituality person. So it's always really important to have that element in healing, I feel. So I love that you mix the two. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so let's dig into it. Start with me about, we talked a little bit about this on my mini bonus episodes about attachment styles. Mm -hmm. I feel like this gets thrown around so much and yeah. people don't necessarily know exactly what their attachment style is, how that might be indicating things that are going on in their lives or their relationships. So can you start telling us a little bit about that? Yeah. Would it be helpful to just 
go over the different Yeah, I would love that. Okay, so attachment theory is basically the idea that by the age of around two years old, we develop an attachment style, which will pretty much determine how we relate romantically as adults. Mm. So basically, our attachment with our primary caregiver eventually graduates to the attachment we have with our romantic partner. I didn't know it was by two years old. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I, I think different research shows, is it four? Is it actually being formed while you're already in the womb? Like, right. So there's different things, but around two years old. And the way that they determined this was they've done this study called the strange situation test. And they've done it all around the world multiple times repeated where they take a mother and a baby, a toddler into a room. And in this room, there's toys and things like that. And then they have the mother leave the room and see what happens to this baby or toddler. And then the mother comes back and how long does it take for this baby to calm down? Mm. And they've basically found there's three main types of attachment styles and then it follows you with life. Mm -hmm. And so the first is secure. And this makes up about 50% of the population. That's what the research shows. And these are people that they're not afraid of intimacy. They're also not codependent. And they generally have the highest satisfaction in their relationships. And that's kind of where we want to go is to become more secure in our own attachment. Mm -hmm. Now, I work a lot with anxiously attached because they tend to take breakups a lot harder. Mm -hmm. And anxiously attached, uh, they have a primary fear that they will be abandoned or rejected at any time. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the strange situation test, what they found was the child was actually having a response of separation before the mom even left the room. Mm. So they started to show anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get left. Right. When the mom leaves, they totally freak out. When the mom comes back, it takes a really long time for that child to calm down. And so they're kind of holding on to their mother and clenching onto them while also like kicking and throwing things at them. Mm. And so what happens with these anxiously attached babies is they grow up to have this attachment style where in their relationships, they're very aware of any cues that might show that the connection is off. Mm. And if they sense that, oh my God, this connection is in jeopardy, they tend to do what's called protest behavior. Have you mm. heard of that before? No, please. <laughs> so protest behavior is ways to reestablish the connection or get attention. Mm. And they're usually in ways that don't really do that. So right. this might be like, oh, it took you five hours to text me. Well, screw you. I'm going to punish you and take five days. Right. Or, oh, I'm going to sleep with other people to take the edge off. Mm. And it's all these ways of trying to get that connection back or, you know, trying to punish that person, just like that baby punishing the mom. Interesting. And so the third kind is avoidant attached and avoidantly attached. They have a primary fear that intimacy or too much emotional closeness is going to suffocate them, that it's not safe. These children in that strange situation test, they seem completely aloof when the mom's there, when the mom leaves and mom comes back. So on the outside, it looks like they give zero fucks. Right, right. <laughs> but they actually did this test where they looked at what's the amount of cortisol in the urine. And they showed that this child was actually having a stress response internally, mm. but not showing it on the outside. Oh, interesting. So you can imagine when they grow up, right? Mm. And if you date an avoidant person, you're like, they feel nothing. Why am I taking this? heartbreak so hard and they seem like they're living their best life. Well, on the external, they don't show it. They might not even be aware that they're having this emotional experience. Right. And so they tend to do what's called deactivating strategies. When someone gets a little too close, they will subconsciously do things to push them away or sabotage the yeah. connection. And the kicker is 
anxiously attached are typically drawn to avoidance and vice versa. Mm. I feel like so many people listening to this are like, fuck, fuck, she's talking about me. I'm so triggered right now. It's like, I hear you. It's okay. So is it possible to start out as one attachment style and then through, you know, your growth and healing end up as another attachment style? Yeah. So it's definitely possible to become secure. And I'm a living example of that. I used to be extremely anxiously attached to the extreme side. (laughs) Like I'll show up to the club and be like, oh, you work here? Like that kind of (laughs) anxiously attached. You know, I was a love addict. I was codependent. And yeah, through a lot of heartache and through a lot of work through that, I'm now what's called an earned secure. Mm. And so like, you know, if I'm in in a situation where there's a pandemic and I lost everything and I'm not seeing my friends, my anxious attachment might get sparked a bit, right. but generally I'm more secure. And it also really matters who you're dating. Yeah. Because if you are severely anxious and you're, you know, if you feel that chemistry with that severely avoidant, mm-hmm. it's just going to keep rewounding you. Yeah. Oh my God, you're me. Like, that's exactly <laughs> my, like I was 100% anxious and now I feel like I'm more of, like you said, an earned secure. But if something triggers me and it's like warning signs going off and it's like, oh shit, I'm being abandoned, then right. that definitely will rear its ugly head in certain situations. Yeah. 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 So how is it important for people when they're going through a breakup to know their attachment style and how does that help them get a little more insight of how they might want to heal and like deal with the breakup. Yeah. So the reason why anxiously attached tend to take breakups the hardest, and that's 80% of the people come to breakup boot camp, is because they tend to put a lot of their identity and sense of self-worth on the relationship. Mm. So when you the relationship isn't there, they're like, they're crumbled. Right. Like, who am I without yeah. this thing? And so I think that whether it's a breakup you're going through or just in relationships is learning you know, am I outsourcing my validation? And if you're on the other side, if you tend to kind of find that intimacy and emotional closeness and vulnerability is uh, very scary and you find reasons to sabotage, like you start being very critical about them, you start doing things like disappearing, you know, after maybe a really beautiful weekend together Mm. is to just start looking like, oh, are these maladaptive coping mechanisms that I picked up along the way? And I wouldn't shame yourself or shame other people, but having an awareness of what those are, where did they come from? And then what would be a healthier response? And then it's really just a matter of practice. Yeah. Yeah. When so many times when we're like walking through life, unaware of why it is we do things, it's like, There could be a very good reason that you're doing all of these things, but until you figure out what that is and are able to redirect it and practice, like you said, you can't start making different patterns and changing your habits. Yeah, for sure. So important. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. 
Head to factormeals.com slash FMLTalk50 and use code FMLTalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLTalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLTalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Okay, well, let's get into the breakup stuff because I know that's why everyone's like, all right, take me there. Why are people so drawn to unavailable people? Because so many times I will get DMs and being like, well, you know, he was really hot and then he went cold or he's, you know, like the bare minimum stuff. And they're trying to validate that and be like, well, he liked the text. It's like, yeah, he held down his fucking finger on the button and put a thumbs up. Okay, congratulations. Like, or he viewed my IG story. Right, right. Like, that's not enough, bitch. Um, <laughs> so why do you think people are drawn to unavailable people? Yeah, so there's many different reasons. I would say one that I see a lot is something called uh, attractions of deprivation, which is we are drawn to people on a subconscious level, to people who can wound us in a very familiar way to how we're wounded as children. So fucked up. So our our (laughs) psyche, and this is, you know, on a subconscious level, tries to actually recreate the scenario of the crime almost Mm. in an attempt to change its ending. So you know, for me, for example, I was like, I don't have a pattern. Like in my 20s, I dated DJs and club owners. And then in my 30s, I only dated like tech entrepreneurs. And I'm like, oh, there's there's no pattern. But the emotional experience was exactly the same. Mm. And that was the same of the one I had in childhood with my father, which was I need to get good grades. I need to earn your love. I have to be a good girl in order for you to give me attention and say that I'm good. And this constantly be feeling anxious of chasing this person mm-hmm. to give me some love. Yeah. And I didn't know this was playing out, but all of these people I was choosing, it was my psyche trying to recreate it. If only I just give more love or I was sexier or prettier, then maybe I'll heal that and get a different result. Right. But unfortunately, that different result doesn't happen. Oh my God. It's so spot on. We talk about this all the time that when there's a pattern in your life, not necessarily that like you're deserving to be cheated on time and time again, but if there's a pattern in your life, there's something within you that is attracting that person so that you can be conscious of it to then heal it and attract something different in the future. So exactly like you said, my dad passed when I was young. It was my first like experience with abandonment. Mm -hmm. Lost my high school sweetheart when I was 18, second experience with abandonment. And Mm -hmm. the two big relationships that were like life-changing in my life, one ended with infidelity in my marriage and the second ended with abandonment literally as I was getting on a plane to go to Europe. So like very textbook of what you're saying. How can you differentiate? Because I see that now looking back on it in like the big picture, of course, hindsight's 20-20, but going into those relationships, I can't say that there was any similarities or indication between the men that would have been like this person, this is a cycle, this is a pattern. So how do you like recognize that in the earlier stages? Yeah. I mean, I think there's certain things that you could do to try to set yourself up for success. And there's also 
life. Right. There's also learning lessons. Luck, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you could, you know, do all the things and be as healthy as you can and have boundary talks and then date someone and you change and they change. And then I don't know, they go to Tulum after they got fired from their job and like want to feel validated and hook up with someone like you can't help this shit. Right. Yeah. And so I, I don't want anyone listening to be blaming themselves like, oh, no, I did this thing again. But just rather, okay, what are you optimizing for when you look for partners? Mm. And sometimes we say we want, say, a long-term committed partnership, but we are operating on a dating strategy that worked in our 20s right. when it was about excitement and fun and getting to clubs, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so if you are like basing potential relationship partners on that crazy chemistry where you just see each other and you want to rip off your clothes. Okay, that's amazing and it worked for you in your 20s, mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily indicative of a good life partner. Right. And when you look at the research of people who have been happily married for 20, 30 years, the things that actually are in common with these people are there's shared values, mm -hmm. there's a shared life vision, yep. there's a, an ability to move through time together. It's not because they both like skiing or, <laughs> you know, there's a height or one's an entrepreneur and one's not. It's not any of those things. And I think sometimes we get caught in this kind of thinking trap where we're looking for things that will satisfy us in the short term, mm -hmm. height, status, money, whatever it is. And those things actually don't matter when right. it comes to long-term fulfillment and happiness in a partnership. Yeah. Oof. Say it louder for the people <laughs> in the back. So spot on. Okay. Let's jump to the, the, the inevitable has happened. <laughs> you're in the midst of the breakup. You're in the muck. What are some big mistakes that people make? And then we're going to get to closure because I talk about closure on the show all the yeah. time. So I'm really interested to get your perspective on it. So in the midst of the breakup, what are some big detrimental things you see people do when they come to boot camp? So we have a rule. The very first rule when people come to break up boot camp is there's no bashing of the ex mm. because I feel like it's a very natural thing. You get together with your friends. Your friends really are protective over you. Right. And it's like you start pathologizing the person. What a narcissist. What a this, whatever. Yeah, he's a fucking and, asshole. <laughs> right. And it feels good in the moment, mm -hmm. but it's like junk food. It's not healthy for you long term because if you're still blaming your ex, vilifying your ex, hoping for your ex to change, psychoanalyzing your ex, you're still in a relationship with your ex. You're just in a relationship mm. with someone who's not in a relationship with you <laughs> because the emotional charge yep. keeps you hooked. Right. So I don't think that means you excuse any, you know, injustice or anything like that, but just know that spending your energy focusing on how terrible they are isn't actually helping you in the healing process. Right. And I think that goes for not only just exes, yeah. like that goes for any shitty person that walked through your life and right. fucked you over that you now have like that negative charge to, which is the same thing we talk about as far as like forgiveness. It's not necessarily for the other person. It's for you to like let go of that charge. It's really draining on yourself. Yeah. And all of that energy that you spend on hating this person is just energy that you're not spending on building your next chapter. Yeah. Mm. So I'd say that's one, you know, the blaming, vilifying yeah. thing and watching out for that. I think another thing is when people come to break up boot camp, the theme throughout the weekend is reframing the story. And I could tell someone, just reframe your story. And that's not going to land. And so 
our experiences and sessions build on that. But the very first thing I have them do is they come in with the story that they currently have about their relationship. Maybe it's like, they did this to me. I'm too old to find love now. They took the best years of my life, whatever it is. And then I teach them how to look for cognitive distortions. And these are thinking errors that all human beings make that amplify stress and anxiety. So all or nothing thinking, this always happens to me, I'm never going to find love, uh, shoulds, I should have done that, if only I did this, this would be different, blaming, mind reading, fortune telling, oh yeah, like no one's going to want to date me now, whatever it is. Right. And these are thinking errors. So I have them circle all of these cognitive distortions rewrite their story with just the facts. Mm -hmm. And what they find is emotional charge actually minimizes a bit because we need to play with reality if we're going to start healing. But if you're right. in fantasy world, it's really, really hard to start healing. Yeah. Ooh, that's such a good one. Because so many people do that and start going down the warped tunnel of like, well, because of this, then this is meaning this. And it's all shit that's not based in reality. Yeah. So yes, writing down that list of facts is such a big one. One of the DMs I get most and talk about on this show inevitably is how do I stop checking my ex's Instagram? Mm. And I'm like, bitch, just stop. Yeah. But I know that you just recently did a video that I saw that I loved that was about like what happens to your brain when you start looking at your ex's pages. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So understanding what happens in the brain is helpful because so when we're in a relationship with someone, we have neural pathways that have been wired together, right? Every time we had coffee together and like, you know, hug, all of that, it's strengthening those neural pathways. When you break up, you might know, okay, we're broken up, but your body mm. doesn't, right? Your right. body wants to continue feeding the dopamine and feeding those neural, strengthening those old neural pathways. So if you continue to go down memory lane by looking at old texts or checking up what they're up to, you're only strengthening those old neural pathways and you're not letting them prune away. Mm. When we don't use those neural pathways, they eventually start to atrophy. They start to prune away. And so that's why you want to set yourself up for success by building systems and not rely on willpower. And that might look like for that person who can't stop checking their ex's Instagram, maybe you take an Instagram break for just three weeks, right? Right. So you're not wondering, are they looking at mine? Am I looking at theirs? Just set yourself up for success and no withdrawal is going to come. And also know this number, 20 minutes. That's generally the amount of time for that feeling of intensity, like, oh my God, I need to check. I need to call. I need to, for it to kind of reach its chemical peak and start to dissipate. Mm. So find something you can do to distract yourself in a healthy way for those first 20 minutes, because those are going to be the hardest minutes. Right. Oof. Yes. What is your views on blocking an ex on Instagram? I think sometimes it's necessary. And again, it's really about setting yourself up for success. And this isn't a long-term thing, right? Like your strategy that you use in the very beginning of a breakup is going to look different towards the later stages. But in the beginning, you have to imagine you have a big open wound and you're going to have to do things to protect yourself, to not keep adding to that wound and making that wound bigger. Right. And that might mean, yeah, the first month you avoid that coffee shop that you guys always went to. This doesn't mean like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to have my coffee at that place. And why am I giving it to? No, in a couple months when it's not so fresh, you can go back to that coffee shop, right? right? But in the beginning, protect yourself from just getting re-wounded over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. That's such good freaking advice. And I wish that it didn't take people so long to continuously wound themselves to be like, oh, maybe there's something to this. Maybe I need to like 
cut off the bleeding and like really yeah. stop and take a step back because we would be so much farther along in our healing journeys after yeah. breakups if we did that. Talk to me a little bit about dating and why we can fall for someone so quickly and have it end up in that one-sided relationship dynamic. And is that different, you think, from you know love bombing we talk a lot about on this show? Obviously, that's usually coming from the other side. So this is kind of the flip side of that. Like if you're the one that's like falling very quickly and then finding yourself in that one-sided relationship. When we fall for someone really quickly, that's typically not anything to do with the other person. Yeah. Because we don't know that person. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So we might be falling in love with an idea of a person Mm -hmm. of this future that you might now be able to have because of this person Mm -hmm. or the rush of chemistry because they're giving you attention. But you don't know this as a person, as a human being. And you only know someone through time and experience where it reveals their character and their values. And so I think sometimes we fall really fast because we create fantasies about people. And I don't blame you know, like, what have we been fed since we've been children? Like yeah. fairy tales and Sex in the City, then Bridgerton. They're all different versions of the same story yeah. that suddenly there's going to be someone and all of that emptiness, all of that pain is just going to go away because mm-hmm. you met someone. It's right. this external thing that's going to fix the thing that feels empty inside. Yep. And, you know, another just like, you know, tactical thing that people do is We go on a date. Maybe it starts off equal. They like us a bit. We like them a bit. Second date, same thing. And then they mention things like they love Bali and they love yoga. You go home from date two and then you start in your brain being like, oh, you know, I can imagine us having a yoga retreat in Bali together. Maybe we'll have a center and like, and then you're on Airbnb 20 minutes later. (laughs) Yeah. You played out this whole life. And then by third date, you know, you've already gotten married, had three kids, had an ashram together, and they're just <laughs> on third date. Yeah. But all of that fantasizing, I call it future tripping in my book, mm. is you're actually creating dopamine. So you're getting these chemicals right. and that's building up your how much you like this person. Yeah. Whereas this person is just on date three. Right. right? You've had three lifetimes with them. Right. So how, if someone's starting to do that, how do you pump the brakes on that to not be the one that's like over giving in the relationship? So I think first is recognizing when your mind is going off Mm -hmm. into the future, Yeah, when you're future tripping and like there's different things you could do to help you become more mindful, but just like a tactic to stop that kind of thought from taking over. I love the stop sign exercise where you close your eyes, you imagine a big red stop sign, you say the word out loud, stop. Then you open your eyes and you look around you and you just start listing everything you're grateful for and why. Mm. And you keep going on that list. And eventually what happens is like it trains your thought process to go down this other route of making you mindful and present what's in front of you Mm. versus this fantasy thought. And the first few times you do it, you're like, this doesn't work. It doesn't like this sucks. But again, you have to build the muscle. And the more you do it, the more you're able to redirect your thoughts. Oh, I love that. That's a great fucking exercise. (laughs) Oh, my God. My brain is so (laughs) scared. There's so much like good content that you're giving us. So when we're in the moment of, you know, starting to what you call it future tripping. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. I think this is so interesting because when people watch like reality TV shows, like The Bachelor, for instance, and like there's like 10 girls that get sent home on night one. 
And all of these bitches are crying. <laughs> and everyone at home is like, you don't even know the guy. Like, right. you met him for 2.5 seconds. Why are you crying? It's because they've been future tripping for right. the first two months. They knew they were leading up going on to the show. And they were like, oh, my God, what if I meet this person? And he's amazing. And I make it all the way to the end. And then we get engaged and we get married. They've been fucking falling asleep every night fantasizing right. about this for months now. Yeah. So that's where the tears are coming from. So it's so interesting to me that we do. I mean, I've been guilty of this. When you start in that new relationship and you're like, oh, my God, this is like everything I've ever wanted. And like you start playing it out. Yeah. On the flip side of that, when someone else is doing that and starts to get really serious really fast, what is a way that you can recognize those kind of warning signs and how do you handle it from the opposite shoes? Yeah. And I think that this plays into like it can play into love bombing too, right? right? When someone who doesn't know you and on date three is like, I just knew when I met you. Like I've had someone say that to me. Right. And when my you know, own self-esteem and self-worth wasn't really strong. Mm -hmm. That was music to my ears, right. right? I was like, I had a sign on my head that said like, please love bomb me. Narcissist, <laughs> come get me. I'm like, I'm down, right? Yeah. And then when you actually build your own foundation and your identity, that stuff, you're like, mm, I don't, it doesn't hit you the same way because you're not desperate for this validation to right. make you feel special. Right. And so I think when we are looking for an external force to make us feel special because there's a wound inside mm -hmm. us that doesn't feel worthy, yep. we are positioning ourselves for these situations to occur where it could be a very unhealthy yeah. lust. Yeah, you literally just described my ex. So oh. <laughs> that's, you hit the nail on the head. I can validate everything she just said. It's so true, that void within you. And I think it's our responsibility as humans, if we've been through a heartbreak, if we've been through a loss, any type of situation, like if we know that that void is happening within ourselves and we meet someone that suddenly starts to make it feel better, to be conscious of that yeah. and to not push it to the side and be like, great, this makes me feel so good. It's making the void go away because you have to know in your heart that no one's going to fill that void besides you. Yeah. And if you're feeling it, it's temporary and it's not a permanent solution. Yeah. So it's so important to be cognizant of that and to recognize that and to be mindful of like the other person that's coming into the relationship that's thinking, oh, great, this person just like wants to be with me all the time. It's not necessarily healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So let's talk a little bit about losing your power in, I guess, in a relationship and in a breakup because it happens both. Yeah. What are some of the ways with people that have come to the boot camp that you've seen them lose their power? Yeah, it's such a common theme. And I work with a lot of high achieving people. And even though they are killing it in their career, somewhere along the way, they lose their power in relationships. And that's why we actually bring in a professional dominatrix to talk about power dynamics. Okay, great. And we're going to talk about that too. Because when you said that in the <laughs> intro, I was like, <laughs> and so, you know, with power, it happens really slowly and gradually. You don't go on date one and be like, okay, I'm going to sign up to, you know, base my identity around you and I'm not going to ever voice my needs nor have any limits or boundaries. It doesn't start right. that Let way. Let me sign my power over to you. Here's the contract. Let's yeah. carry on. <laughs> it starts so gradually. And, yeah. you know, that first time where you're like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to 
cancel the plans like for brunch with my friends this weekend because it's, you know, it's the only time that they can see me because they travel. And then the next one is like, well, like, you know, they're tired from all their work. So I'm going to drive an hour to see them and, you know, make it more convenient. Yeah. Right. And like, oh, they don't like it when I, you know, am too like loud at whatever. So I'm just going to tame it down. It's very gradual. Yeah. Until we eventually find ourselves in this position and strong, bold people in this position of like, how did I get here? And I'm in so deep or I relied on this person so much, or maybe I gave up my job because they promised like it was okay that they paid for everything. Mm -hmm. And you're like, and now I don't know who I am. I've lost sight of who I am. They're also my lifeline. I can't get out. Yeah. And so I think it's really important for us to be aware of balance. And it doesn't mean that you're dating someone who's awful. Most people aren't awful human beings, right? right? But people can feel power dynamics. So even if you start off equal, if you lose yourself, you stop doing your hobbies, your friends, having something that making your own money, being aware of finances, all those things, eventually you get to a point where they become superior to you. You position them as superior to you or they Mm -hmm. become your lifeline. They can feel it. They pull away. You chase and... It unravels. Yeah. Now you're describing my ex-husband. So again, (laughs) validating everything that she's saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's so scary how like slowly it happens because you barely even realize it's happening. I had my friend Lauren on the podcast a couple seasons ago and she was like, I was never the person that was going to end up in an abusive relationship. And I woke up one morning and was like, wait, what the fuck? I'm the person in the abusive relationship. And it's so gradual how people can start to dim your light and like chip away at you. How do you suggest starting to take some of that power back? I mean, my suggestion is like, get the fuck out of the relationship. But like, if you've, you know, started to do that, how do you gain some of that power and confidence back? Yeah. So when I work with clients, and some of them are still in a relationship, and it's easier to be like, just get the fuck out. And like, tomorrow you're out. But okay, you've been with someone for 15 years and you haven't worked. So what are you going to do? And I think the very first is like looking at what makes a solid foundation. And I look at it like a pie, right? So in an exercise we do at the retreat and in the book is like the pie exercise where you draw a circle and how much of your time, energy, attention is focused on the relationship. And not even time spent together, like time thinking, time like whatever. And a lot of the times it's like 70%, 80%, 90% relationship. Mm -hmm. And they've lost all these other sides. And so draw a new pie. What does a more balanced one look like? Okay, so there's friends, there's hobbies, there's learning, and maybe there's slices that you've never even had before that you have to add in there. And then actually creating an action plan on doing one step to start building this part of the pie so that you gradually build this foundation. Mm -hmm. And that might mean for the ones that kind of stopped investing in their friends because they had a relationship. So like, I don't need my friends. Okay. Maybe that is connecting with a friend from the past and investing in them or, Hey, there's someone you met at blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I really like their energy. I'm going to like put myself out there and ask if I could, you know, go for coffee with them, whatever it is. But it's these small steps that you do to start building that foundation and being aware of these different parts of the pie. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the same as when you see clients lose their power during a breakup? Like if the breakup just devastated them and broke their heart, but like 
they weren't like necessarily giving up their power in the relationship. Is there a way that you've seen them kind of lose their power because of the breakup? Yeah, I think that breakups can like even the strongest people who feel really powerful, a breakup can also bring up a lot of old stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I started breakup boot camp because I was in this devastating breakup and I had suicidal ideation and I blamed everything on my ex. I'm like, he did this to me. And I now recognize like, oh, it ripped off a bandaid of all the stuff I never dealt with. Right. And so that's why it was so intense. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's okay to feel completely, you know, overwhelmed and like you're stuck in grief and it's really, really hard. But when you start to do these things like, okay, I'm going to find a new passion I can get obsessed over. Mm -hmm. Like that's energy that you're taking away from obsessing about your ex to this new part of you. And in the beginning, you're like, this doesn't work. I feel nothing. Eventually it starts to build. And then you find yourself like, oh, I'm thinking about that person a little bit less or, oh, I went through an hour without thinking about that person. And it Mm -hmm. happens really gradually as well, building that power back up. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so valuable for people to hear it's not necessarily the breakup that has devastated you. It's the wounds that have been uncovered from that. When I went through my breakup with my ex, it was like, why has this been a year and a half and I have not gotten the fuck Mm -hmm. over this? Like I've gotten over shit way quicker that has been way more devastating. Like it felt like, worse than some of the deaths I had experienced in my life. And I was like, this isn't normal. (laughs) Like, why am I not okay? And it's because it was ripping up so many deep abandonment wounds Mm -hmm. and like taking me back to things that were still not finished and like still unhealed. And when you can give yourself some grace and be like, it's not that I'm fucked up over this man or this person. It's that I'm like now very open and raw and vulnerable into stuff that I need to heal. Like start becoming a detective in your life and being like, what is this breakup trying to heal within me? Because it's happening for a reason. So like, don't let it go to waste. I mean, look, have your wine, eat your ice cream, do your fucking thing, cry it out. But then start to be like, what is this going to bring me? Like there's going to be so many gifts in there of what you need to heal and what you need to do to move forward to like create such better relationships in the future. Yeah. And Gabrielle, I think you brought up a really like good point is like, you know, if it's a year and a half or two years and you are still feeling like you're grieving that ex, I think if we're not aware that it's actually all this other stuff, we can give way too much credit to this person. Oh, totally. And think it's because they were the one. Right. Um, they were my soulmate, my not. twin flame. <laughs> it's like, no, bitch, there's just a lot of shit you need to fix within yourself. <laughs> yeah, totally. So what is the difference between Breakup Bootcamp and the book that you have? Yeah, so the book has a lot of tools and Breakup Bootcamp, the actual retreat is, it's 12 hours of programming a day. You know, you are actually experiencing it. And mm-hmm. so I know that it's like a little bit harder for some people to make the time or the investment to go to that, which is why I have the book, which is makes it a bit more bite-sized and right. you can do it at home. But the actual retreat is a very immersive experience. And is that in person or via yeah, Zoom? Yeah, it's in person. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're re- it's like straight up boot camp. Yeah, I bring in 12 experts from psychologists, behavioral scientists. Oh, yeah, matrix. great. Let's talk yeah. about that because I need to touch on that. But, but okay, so... You bring in a professional dominatrix to the boot camp. Mm -hmm. Can you give me a little bit of insight of like why and what that's like and just 
some info around that. <laughs> yeah. So she really focuses on the psychology of power dynamics mm. and she uses, her name is Colette. She's been a pro-dom for 17 years, PhD from Berkeley, who really helps people with understanding our relationship with shame, mm-hmm. understanding how BDSM is actually a metaphor for how we do life. So, you know, the B in BDSM is bondage. Mm-hmm. And so in the actual dungeon, right, there's like the dominant and the submissive. And you're like, oh, like the submissive has no power. But actually in that situation, the submissive has all the power because with one safe word, right. they can make everything stop. Right. But how are we in our lives unconsciously in bondage to things? Mm. And maybe it's a status, maybe it's a career. Maybe it's having the latest whatever or being whatever on Instagram. And we're in bondage to this thing that, you know, we have these handcuffs that we can't see. Mm. And so she kind of deconstructs BDSM and relates it to life, helps people with the relationship with shame, with sexuality. And it's probably like the highlight session of it for everyone. I bet. That's fucking fascinating. Wow. This sounds incredible. Can you tell people a little bit more about if they want to find you, if they want to get more info on the Breakup Bootcamp, like where the book's available, all the things? Yeah. So it's renewbreakupbootcamp.com. We do two physical retreats a year. Uh, Next one's in April. And my book is Breakup Bootcamp, The Science Everywhere in Your Heart. You can buy on Amazon or any bookstore. Amazing. And on Instagram, I'm Miss Amy Chan. Miss Amy Chan, this has been fucking invaluable. I know people are going to get so much out of this. So thank you so much for being here and sharing. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I want to thank Amy so much for coming on and sharing all of this absolutely incredible information today. Um, If you are in the throes of heartbreak right now and you're like, bitch, I cannot pick myself up off my couch and put the ice cream down. This is like a really solid place to start if you can't afford to necessarily go to the boot camp, which I could wish I could send some of my girlfriends to and like force them to just be immersed in their shit and in their healing with the dominatrix and all um, for as long as she does the retreats for. She does have one coming up. So make sure you check it out if that's something you are interested in. If not, and that's not in your budget, the book is a really solid place to start. So I hope this gave you some hope that you can grasp onto to know that it is going to get better. I am a walking example of that. When you get your heart broken, it's just going to take time and you are going to come out the other end a badass, better fucking human. I promise you. And we will be here every Wednesday getting you the fuck through it. So never fear, darlings. I will see you guys next week. All right, FMLers, if you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. And if you're loving the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can keep up with me on Instagram at Gabrielle Stone or the podcast page at FML Talk Podcast. For all the merch and books signed personally by me, you can shop the FML line on eatpreyfml.com. And as always, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. 
We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.